Well, it's a make-or-break week for Energy and Environment Minister Josh Frydenberg as he prepares to negotiate with the states this Friday on the government's National Energy Guarantee. And the sharks are circling, quite literally. He's on the line now. Good afternoon, Minister. Nice to be with you, Miranda. Now... I wanted to ask you, first of all, with your environment hat on, yesterday there were two shark attacks in WA and um, the World Surf League had to suspend its Margaret River Pro Surfing competition. Sharks are protected. The CSIRO, though, says that numbers have exploded and we all know there's been an increase in shark attacks. Aren't human lives more important than sharks, Josh Frydenberg? Absolutely, and that is why we've called on the Western Australian government to be more proactive and more rigorous in their approach to protecting human lives in the water. In Western Australia, tragically, there has been 15 lives that have been lost in the last 17 years to shark attacks. This is a disproportionately high number compared to what we've seen in Queensland and in New South Wales, where they've put in place more rigorous, proactive shark mitigation measures, including smart drum lines in New South Wales, uh, which have caught more than 250 target sharks, including more than 200 great whites, as well as in Queensland, where they've had nets operating for many years, which has reduced the number of fatalities significantly. So will you ever lift the protection of great white sharks? Look, we don't need to lift uh, the protection of great white sharks under the EPPC Act in order to take effective action because states can apply to me as the Environment Minister for an exemption under the Act as New South Wales did when it rolled out nets. And I have said publicly I'd be willing to quickly consider such an approach from Western Australia uh, if that is the pathway that they were so inclined to follow. And they, why don't they do that, though? They're, 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 they're the sort of shark, cap, shark attack capital of Australia. Well, certainly the public's concern has grown dramatically in Western Australia. And I think that the, uh, that, that pressure is being brought to bear uh, on the political leadership in Western Australia. And I'm hoping to see some movement in their approach in the, in the coming period. So... <laughs> So you're hoping that Western Australia will install drum lines and nets? Well, it, it would be welcome. Sorry, Miranda. It would be welcome by the uh, by the federal government. Were uh, were the Western Australian government to change their position? You, you, poor thing. You probably been talking all day, all week, because of course this the next uh, topic is the task that I'm sure has been consuming your every waking hour, and uh, I'm sure you've been doing a lot of jawboning at the same time as you try to to get the states to agree to your national energy guarantee, which I think you have to do by Friday. So in a nutshell, Josh Frydenberg, what is the national energy guarantee and will it reduce electricity bills? Yes, it will. Independent modelling shows that the average household will be $300 a year better off under our national energy guarantee compared to what is on offer by the Labor Party. And it simply is a mechanism to integrate energy and climate policy by requiring the energy retailers to produce enough power to keep the lights on, regardless if the wind is blowing and the sun is shining, as well as, over time, reducing their 
emissions from the power that they use consistent with our Paris targets. We should have the cheapest power in the world, though, um, but we have the most expensive power in the world. So what's your priority? Is it price, reliability or reducing carbon emissions? Affordability is my priority. And, of course, keeping the lights on and stabilising the network and avoiding the problems that we saw in South Australia. And I believe you can achieve those two objectives while also decreasing your emissions over time. But what we want is a responsible approach, not the reckless targets that we've seen from the Labor Party, which have been described as risky and unnecessary by the Business Council of Australia, which can cost jobs, hurt our competitiveness. So there is a clear difference between us and the Labor Party. We believe that coal has a future in Australia. The Labor Party doesn't. And we want to ensure more gas is provided into the domestic market. That's why we've intervened there. And we're also ensuring that the network companies, which are those companies responsible for the poles and wires that have been gold-plated over the last a number of years, we want to see that power of those companies reined in to save consumers hundreds of dollars on their bill too. I hear the sort of conservative critique of your government, which is that Malcolm Turnbull's uh, dyed-in-the-wool climate alarmist, your your greenies uh, and so on. But, I mean, some of these issues, for instance, the renewable energy target or the Paris commitment, they date before, I mean, they date from the Howard era. Well, certainly the renewable energy target, which started at a much lower level, uh, was undertaken during uh, the Howard government and was expanded by the Labor Party. Uh, And the Abbott government uh, entered into a negotiation uh, with the then uh, Labor opposition and settled settled a policy. Um, What we have now got to do is get the market working again because there's going to be $200 billion dollars worth of energy infrastructure that needs to be built in Australia between now and 2050. No government can provide that level of funding. So the only way we'll get what we want built in our energy system is by getting the market signals right, and this is where the National Energy Guarantee is so important. It sees a role for coal, for gas and renewables. It has a balanced workable, practical approach, and, of course, it's market-based, which is consistent with the Liberal Party's principles too. What about coal, though, coal-fired power? And you're getting a lot of uh, push from, um, you know, the Monash Forum, Tony Abbott, those people, to get involved, to to either nationalise an existing power plant like Liddell or to build your own. What's wrong with that? And why... Why is it okay to have the government involved in hydropower, as in Snowy 2.0, and not in coal? Well, the clear answer to that is because Snowy has been in government hands since the days of Chifley and Menzies. Uh, What we want to do is see the market take those decisions to build new power plants. And I would welcome new investments in coal. Indeed, I think under the National Energy Guarantee... Uh, There is a priority put on the reliability of power, and this will see a need and a case made for upgrading existing coal-fired power stations. We have 20 coal-fired power stations in Australia with an average age of 27 years. So while they might not all live forever, there's certainly a lot of life left in them. So too with gas. That's an important fossil fuel, 
and increasingly important in the transition. So we're encouraging more uh, exploration there and putting pressure on the states to lift their moratoriums and bans on gas development. And then when it comes to renewables, we believe the days of subsidies should be over, and that is why the National Energy Guarantee is very different to the renewable energy target or the proposed clean energy target because it ends subsidies, it is no new tax, it is no new trading scheme, but it harnesses the power of the market. Look, I know it's a devilish situation that you're in trying to satisfy you know, everybody, but you've had a fair bit of support, I see, for, for your national energy guarantee from energy companies as well as renewable companies, which is quite a feat. I know Energy Australia is saying it's the best chance in a decade to end the impasse, but are the states going to play ball with you on Friday? Well, I think it's in the national interest for them to do so. And I would call upon the states to put ideology aside and the national interest first. Uh, For too long, as the political battle lines have been drawn in the energy and climate space, it's been the consumers, Miranda, who have been the casualties. And higher prices and less stability has been the result. So we do need to turn a corner. Friday is a good opportunity for doing that. I've had constructive discussions with the states, both Liberal and Labor and, of course, the territories, uh, and I'm hoping that we get the green light to move to the next stage of design on the National Energy Guarantee. And it is worth pointing out to your listeners that not only have the big energy users, the big employers in Australia, supported the National Energy Guarantee, groups like Blue Scope Steel, Dow Chemical, Rio Tinto, BHP, the Farmers Federation and others, but also people like John Howard, and his voice definitely counts for something in this debate. But will it reduce electricity bills before the election? It it is going to put downward pressure on electricity bills because it will get the market working again. Now, as for uh, the date of the next election, we're expecting it to be next year. We have seen over the last month the wholesale price of electricity, remembering that the wholesale price is one-third of a, of a person's power bill, uh, has come down 30 to 35% on the same time last year. So what we are doing in the market is working. It's having an impact, and I'm calling on the energy companies to pass through to the consumers in the form of lower power bills what we are seeing in the broader market. Now, look, before you go, we have to discuss this because everyone's talking about it today. Peter Credlin, my Sunday Telegraph colleague and Sky News presenter and, of course, former chief of staff to Tony Abbott, says that she had a conversation with you about your mild critique, I thought, of Tony Abbott last week. And she said you won't be doing that again. Just have a quick listen. I think it was levity. I think he thought it was funny. I think afterwards he probably reflected and decided it wasn't funny. I've had a conversation with him. I'm not going to go into it on air, um, but I don't think you'll see that again. That's a bit humiliating, isn't it, Josh Frydenberg, for a cabinet minister, a potential future prime minister even? I'm blushing at the other end of the phone here, Miranda. Look, the reality is uh, I will leave private conversations to that, um, but... I have made it very clear that I stand by my previous words, um, that I will continue to call it as I see it. But as for the coalition's chances at the next election, they're enhanced by our ability to stick together as a team and to remember who our real opponent is. It's Bill Shorten, because he wants to increase your taxes on your income, on your business, on your property, 
and, of course, on your savings. The thrifty Australians who make up the backbone of our community and our society will have their savings ripped into by Bill Shorten. We need to continue to make the case. Malcolm Turnbull is showing leadership now on the world stage uh, in the domestic political debate on issues like energy uh, and, uh, and on tax, and we'll continue to make the case as to why the coalition is the best alternative at the next election. Do you think Tony Abbott gets that memo? He, uh, it's been reported that he also rang you after your comments. Was he upset with you? Uh, look, I'm not going to get into that. As you know, uh, I served as a minister uh, with Tony Abbott. Uh, I respect him for what he achieved uh, as a prime minister. Uh, he is a member of the coalition uh, team, and we need to remember that our real opponent is Bill Shorten and the alternative to Malcolm Turnbull is Bill Shorten. And that is not a good alternative for the Australian people. Yes, well, look, it's a bit unfair. I doubt you'd find a minister who was more loyal to Tony Abbott than you were. But, of course, the government has to keep on going. So I'll leave it there, Josh Frydenberg. You've had more than enough on your plate this week. Thanks again for your time. All the best. Thanks very much. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from.